The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner, or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs, and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Working Moms. It's no surprise to those who know me that I like homeschool moms. Although I'm not actively homeschooling, I still identify myself as a homeschooling mom because it really is as much of a mindset as something that one does day in and day out. And the more time I spend with women who are homeschooling, who are pouring their lives into their children, the more I realize that God's blessing is evident in Christian homeschooling. I remember a while back I had the opportunity to visit an ongoing ministry that I had begun five years prior and had turned over the reins to another woman. This homeschool choir grew out of my desire to give my youngest daughter, the singer of the family, an opportunity to learn and develop her musical gifts. As it turned out, other families were interested in a similar program and were eager to join. God had an interesting sense of humor in that he picked me, a non-musical shower singer at best, to begin a children's choir. He worked out all the details to the point that I was able to get a young, enthusiastic college graduate with a love of music to head our choir, even though she had to travel two hours each way on public transportation to get there. Not only was the choir an opportunity for my daughter to grow, but for this young woman as well. After a full four and dynamic years with it, it became apparent to me that it was time for my daughter and me to move on. She had learned much in this environment, but needed more of a challenge musically. However, I knew that God wanted me to have the ministry continue. I didn't have to look too far to find another homeschool mom willing to take the job that I had created, and I allowed her the opportunity to fill it as an administrator. The music director had matured into a very competent and encouraging teacher and now also has the title Mrs. in front of her name. She actually at that point drove her own car and no longer had to make use of public transportation. Not only that, but there were other moms still present week after week willing to chip in and offer their time and expertise. When I went back to visit, I was gratified to see firsthand that the choir was in very good hands and that many major improvements had been made. Just goes to show that none of us are indispensable and that new blood often enhances an ongoing enterprise. I share this because it's important to restate that homeschooling works because there are dedicated moms willing to make it work, both in their own homes, with their own families, and in association with others. What's more, many of these women are willingly moving into the role of mentors of the younger women who are new to homeschooling, and the camaraderie is amazing to witness. 
it's nice to have been a member actively and now as a veteran of such an elite group. Because of it, I subscribe to the fact that the future is very bright. Recruiting your homeschool faculty. Now I'm sure you're thinking that I made a mistake in this title. You're saying to yourself, I thought homeschooling was about parents teaching their own children. Over the 28 plus years I was a home educator, I was the primary teacher for my children. Having had the benefit of a good private school education myself, I was able to handle the subjects of English grammar, mathematics, and history quite well. However, there were subjects, specifically foreign language, science, and music, that I was not as proficient in, although I had received good grades when I was in school. In those cases, I delegated my teaching responsibility to other people, either through private lessons or through cooperative group settings. With each successive child, I've improved upon my methods and streamlined the process. I got rid of much of the busy work assignments that some textbooks recommend, knowing that they were often there for the teacher handling 20 or more students. Since I didn't have that situation, I had the luxury of making my assignments interesting or at least practical. However, one-on-one -on -one with mom could and did sometimes become tedious both from the teacher and the student's perspective. In order to combat this, I got creative and found a variety of sources to supplement my teaching. There are a number of publishers that cater to home schools and produce DVDs and CD-ROM courses for the computer. With the current technology available, it's very possible to get an entire faculty of excellent teachers to work with your students right from your own computer, let alone with internet connections that allow you to access YouTube videos. The fact that the presentations can be viewed repeatedly if need be, coupled with the fact that the production values are usually quite good, makes this learning environment one that surpasses many fine academic institutions. In fact, many universities are now going to online degree programs specifically because of the superiority of technology. We've used this method for chemistry, algebra, general science, biology and world history, American history, physics, anatomy and physiology, Spanish, Shakespeare's plays, geometry and English literature, to name a few. To be sure, not all these resources came from a self-conscious Christian perspective, but many aren't inconsistent with our faith. And with those that spout the religion of evolution, the pause button is liberally used for me to clarify and to instruct on particular points. That's how I recommend current homeschooling parents deal with subject matter that may not be their area of expertise. My children look back fondly on many of the teachers in these videos as though they had actually physically been in the same classroom with them. An interesting aside is that when my youngest, who had the benefit of watching some of these courses alongside her older sister of seven years, when she took these courses herself, she remembered so much in detail that she could often say what the instructor was going to say before he even said it. In other words, she was listening. For those whose budget make it difficult to purchase all these series for themselves or for their own personal library, I recommend that families consider purchasing and sharing with other homeschoolers. Or better yet, see if you can get your church or co-op to invest in a lending library so that homeschooling families can make use of these materials. A regular monthly subscription fee could purchase a considerable amount.
And of course, you can make use of eBay, Craigslist, and many other used material media sites that are currently available. I think you'll find this is an excellent way to broaden the scope of your homeschool. Products of our culture. There is a huge difference between those raised in the faith and those who have not had the benefit of Christian teaching from the time they were very young. I'm reminded of a song by my good friend Judy Rogers, Why Can't I See God? And the refrain goes like this. Teach me while my heart is tender. Tell me all that I should know. And through the years, I will remember wherever I may go. Since culture is religion externalized, there are many manifestations in our lives that reflect the culture in which we were raised. If we came to faith after childhood, there are a number of things that need to be rethought out. Often we don't think about these things until some event or circumstance brings them to our attention. For example, there were movies I loved before my conversion that when I went to show them to my children, I discovered were not only inappropriate for them, but for me as well. It took encountering the message of the movie in real time before I had a chance to reevaluate it. Once, while reading to my five-year-old daughter, this lesson was cemented. We were going through the science volume of a child's encyclopedia, one that I had used with her brother six years earlier, a time prior to my embracing the Reformed Christian faith. We loved these volumes, and I couldn't wait to share them with her. As I read to her from the book, we came to a section that I dutifully read in its entirety. The only problem was that the text was giving the Earth's formation as having occurred millions and millions of years prior as the result of a Big Bang. When we got to the end of the section, I dutifully informed her that as Christians, we take the biblical account of origins as correct and that this section was wrong. I then turned the page and began to read the next section. She stopped me dead in my tracks and asked in her particular style, how do you know this page is right when the other one was wrong? She got me. Why was I teaching her from a book that had incorrect anti-biblical presuppositions and therefore incorrect conclusions? That's when I began my obsession with building a homeschool library. From then on, I resolved never to use materials that weren't consistent with our biblical faith if there were other alternatives. When there weren't, I would teach the subject without the use of texts or books that taught lies and present the information to my children only after I had taught myself. Just the other day, I was talking with a woman who told me a story that demonstrates the sometimes unexpected benefits of raising children in the culture of a Christian homeschool. She had been reading a story to her five-year-old son, which began, One morning it was raining, and before she could finish the sentence, he protested, Oh no, Mommy, that's wrong. She was surprised. What's wrong? It isn't raining, Mommy. God makes it rain. She corrected herself, but was laughing inside. This was no small insight on the part of her Christian child, one that she had missed entirely. She realized that in this homeschooling adventure, she could expect to learn as much from her children as she would ever teach. 
Homeschooling parents are positioned to raise their children with solid biblical training. When the Word of God is presented and faithfully taught, children will reach conclusions consistent with their faith. As the Bible informs us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Despite the mounting opposition we face from the humanistic culture around us, the future will be bright indeed, as covenant children make their mark on the surrounding culture in Jesus' name. All the more reason for the church to support and encourage Christian homeschooling and individual Christians to do likewise. How early is too early to begin homeschooling? I guess I would have to say in utero. After that, it's safe to get started. Seriously, people and often medical professionals underestimate the cognizance and awareness of infants. How often has a mom or dad glowed over the fact that their child is smiling only to be told, no, that's just gas? Well, I don't buy it. It's like the issue of when life begins. Any answer other than conception is grossly inadequate and flagrantly flawed. Life begins at conception, and teaching and learning begin at birth. Children are not blank slates. They are human beings who inherit their genes from their biological parents and their sin natures from Adam. What's more, every interaction they have from the time they are born becomes a learning experience of one sort or another. Christian parents don't serve their children in good stead when they operate as though sin isn't a real factor, one that needs to be recognized and dealt with from the outset. Let me illustrate with two examples from my own life. Case number one. When my son, who's now a grown man, was not quite a month old, we moved him out of our bedroom to sleep in his own room. He didn't like that very much and would cry and cry. Even after I did all the things a mother knows how to do, the crying wouldn't stop. This went on for some time. One night, my husband had had enough of this and came into the nursery where I was leaning over the crib trying to figure out what to do. In his deep male voice, he said to our child, Turn over and go to sleep. Your mother needs her rest. I thought to myself, he has got to be kidding. This baby doesn't have the faintest idea what he's talking about. However, I turned out to be the one who didn't have the faintest idea of what I was talking about. Our son stopped crying immediately and went to sleep. I was dumbfounded, and my husband just trotted off to bed and went back to sleep. I had grossly underestimated the reality of a father's authority with an infant. How he knew? I can't explain, but our son knew that his dad meant business. Case number two. My youngest daughter is 14 years younger than her brother and seven years younger than her sister. I jokingly used to tell people I took a sabbatical every seven years and had a baby. Anyway, once when she was almost two years old, all three of the children and I were in the living room. The youngest gave her older sister a big smack in the face. I immediately slapped her hand and told her that what she had done was wrong. I then instructed her to apologize to her sister. No response. So I slapped her hand again and told her that she had done a naughty thing and needed to let her sister know that she was sorry. Still nothing. This happened a couple of more times. 
Then my son, with all the wisdom he had acquired in his 14 years, corrected me, sure that his sister couldn't and didn't understand what I was talking about. He felt it was ridiculous for me to even imagine she could. I told him I knew she understood perfectly well and that she was just being defiant. He rolled his eyes, certain that he was right. I reproved her again and told her to let her sister know she was sorry. Still nothing. Again, she got a hand slap. Now her sister was assuring me that the smack really hadn't hurt that badly and that she just doesn't understand mom. She, like her brother, wanted me to drop the whole thing. Just at that moment, my husband, ignorant of all that had transpired, walked out of our bedroom and was making his way down the hall. My youngest didn't even see his face. She just heard his steps and very rapidly declared in, in a loud voice, Sorry! The power of the presence of Daddy had both older brother and sister dumbfounded. She really had understood. I cite these examples because in each case there was a readiness to underestimate the capacity of an infant and baby to discern right from wrong. Since the learning process has to start sometime, it might as well start immediately. So here's my short list of suggestions to begin the pre-homeschooling process with babies. First of all, make sure that when you are dealing with behavior that you take into consideration whether someone is hungry or tired. Having a set schedule will help you not run into situations where things get out of control because either one of those two criteria have not been met. Secondly, when a child acts impatiently, which babies do and young children do, parents should not immediately jump to fix whatever it is, but to instruct the child to be patient. Say the words, be patient. Will the child immediately exercise patience? Probably not, but after a while, the child will get the idea of what's required. And parents need to be consistent, as do the other caregivers who will interact with the child. Thirdly, when a child is about to have a meal, including nursing, grace should be said asking the Lord to bless the food to his body. Will the child understand immediately? I don't know, but if this is a pattern that you're basically instilling in a child that says our sustenance comes from God. Fourth, when a child begins to throw a tantrum, the child should be instructed to control himself. Again, the desired response won't happen immediately, but the pattern of requiring it will be established. The child should not get what he's crying for until the tantrum is over. Fifth, when it's time for nap time or bedtime, the parents should vocalize to the child what they want the child to do. For example, it's now time to go to sleep. When you wake up, I will feed you again. Then they should pray aloud over the child for God to bless the rest, walk out of the room, close the door, and allow the child a chance to go to sleep. Again, I'm not promising immediate results, nor am I encouraging people to be hard-nosed about a child who might not feel secure or whatever. But if you don't start laying down patterns early on, when should the child be expected to respect the authority of his parents? Now, I realize that this goes against much conventional wisdom. I've actually heard women tell me that their pediatrician said, don't bother disciplining a child until the child's four years old because they're not capable of understanding before then. 
I wholeheartedly disagree. But what's more, I maintain that this process is actually more important for the parents than it is for the children, as the parents are the one in charge. That means they need to establish standards that will allow their children to grow into young people who will be able to approach academic learning, physical activities, and things of that nature more easily. But if obedience and self-discipline are not instilled from the beginning, it's an uphill battle at best. Children need to understand we're all under authority. And by God's law word, they're placed under your authority. So that means that parents need to exercise their authority in a God-given way, requiring only those things that are right, not things that are just merely their preferences, although preferences should be taken into consideration. And children need to understand that their parents are under the authority of God and that we're all working off the same rule book. Giants in the land. One of the continuing benefits of being a homeschooling parent is that you get to relearn things, things you should know as you introduce new subjects to your students. This is especially true of the excellent practice of reading passages from scripture aloud to your children. Presenting the text with expression, thereby making its meaning come alive, followed with discussion about how the attitudes and perspectives of the people toward God affected their situation, reinforces the truths of Scripture to the one reading as much to those listening. However, I found that I can be quite uppity at times regarding my ancestors in the faith as I critique their moves and motives as though I would have done a better job. How many times have I screamed at the patriarch Isaac about choosing the ungodly son over the one God had told Rebekah would rule over the older? I hate to see him make that error time and again. And what about David? I mean, doesn't he see what effect his heinous sin is going to have on his descendants? Reading these family histories can act as a valuable reminder that we are very much like, if not worse, than those who have come before us. Numbers 13 and 14, another good case in point. In that account, Moses had sent 12 spies into Canaan to spy out the land that the Lord had promised them for possession. Ten of the 12 came back, having drawn the conclusion that they wouldn't be able to prevail against the giants in the land. Their solution was to walk by sight, not by faith. In a similar way, many Christian parents today when they are plotting a course of action for their children's higher education, have their gaze more fixed on the giants in the land than on the provisions and promises of the God of Scripture. In fact, they believe that if they don't have enough advanced placement courses or letters of recommendation or a high enough GPA from an accredited school, they won't be able to get into the best colleges. Since their focus is on the wrong things, instead of making sure their children are strongly grounded in a biblical world and life view and are living out the implications of their faith, they are busy spending oodles of time and money trying to get the best solution that the giants in the land will deem worthy. Need I remind all of those who have bought into this philosophy that for the children of Israel this resulted in a total of 40 years of wilderness wanderings? Come to think of it, I can't think of a better way to describe many professing Christians who I know, after having graduated from those best schools, end up thinking and acting much like the heathens who run them. 
while wandering in a wilderness of their own making. When they mature into adulthood, their decisions and perspectives are more often Canaanite than they are Christian. I'm truly saddened that there is no quick fix for this attitudinal malaise. However, I'm encouraged that there are many who correctly discern the war raging against the Christian faith all around them, and yet continue to persevere in the process of raising warriors obedient to the law word of Jesus Christ. Our hope lies in the reality that by focusing on the promises rather than the problems, the land will be ours. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.